0: Support for this episode of The Seams comes from Feel Good Yarn Company, a Martha Stewart American-Made finalist and the creator of Silver Spun, an American-made cotton yarn spun with pure silver. Silver Spun, the strength of cotton, the feel of cashmere, the healing properties of silver. Learn more at feelgoodyarncompany.com.
1: I'm Jackie Leiden. And this is The Seams. Our motto is, clothing is our common thread, in every stitch, a story. So, here's what I've got on the show for you today. Men who like to dress well, kids who like to dress well, and college football players who want to look good on the field. Of course, I like to dress well, and I like talking to other people about dressing well. And at New York Men's Fashion Week this summer, I talked to menswear designers about the type of guy who's buying their clothes. I found it pretty interesting. And it made me wonder, who are these guys, these customers, dressing to impress? And whether a guy's gay or straight, how much influence do the women in his life have on the way he dresses? Then we found out that Brendan Gallagher had asked exactly this question, who do men dress for? Brendan's a writer for Complex Magazine. He lives in LA, and he talked to 50 guys between the ages of 21 and 35, divided into two groups, those who were single and those who were married or otherwise in serious relationships. He found that their responses fell into three distinct groups.
0: There was a one group that was very intense on telling me they just don't care about fashion at all, and that was a point of pride for them, that style was something for other people and that they were sort of above it. There was a second group that was very vocal about fashion as something that they take control of, that uh, these are guys who read menswear blogs, these are guys who largely I know from New York who will go to sample sales, things like that. And then the third group was kind of a mix of groups one and two and also some other less committed responses. And this was sort of about even though groups one and two in their own ways kind of insisted that women didn't impact their style for very different reasons, they had these side quotes or kind of like addendums to their answers where they did admit that women actually did influence what they were wearing uh, pretty distinctly.
1: The guys who said that they were kind of dressing for dates, you know, really, they were admitting, if I want to be date bait, if I, well, you actually had some pretty candid responses. Can you kind of give us a sampling?
0: Well, I think there were two kind of subgroups in that second response. So I quoted the names uh, Frazier, Ross, and Brady. They're all writers in New York who are very focused on fashion. And I think their perspective was they spend a lot of money and dress well to be part of a general sort of community. But I think the rest of the responses in group two were very clearly I would not dress nicely were it not necessary to attract attention or be out in in the bars or whatnot. And I think, you know, you spend enough time in the bars in East Village or Williamsburg, you see that you do kind of have to stick out in one way or another. And, you know, whether that's a hipster bar where it's, you know, he with the most skinniest jeans wins or uh, you want to fit in a kind of gastropubby place where you're wearing, you know, the right J Crew shirt. I think the general sentiment was you can project an image of success or coolness if for one night you're going to have an advantage in the marketplace, I guess they could say.
1: Uh, but some of these guys, I'm also kind of intrigued when a man says, I don't care about fashion. I have nothing about fashion. doesn't work for me. I'm above it all. I mean, seriously, how do those guys dress? And who are they dressing for? Other guys?
0: You know, it's a lot of oversized t-shirts from college. It's shirts they were given for free. It's my, my roommate who is, uh, I, I won't name drop him, but, uh, He is definitely in that first group and he was talking to me about how generally his wardrobe is made up of whatever his mother bought for him since he was about 16 and continues to do it. And I guess their precondition for a relationship is to be with someone who's not maybe going to try to change them or not try to make them into something they're not. And I think the like billowy, large faded gym shirt is their way of telling the world they're not going to adapt. That's kind of a self-selecting process for their, uh, pursuit of someone who they're going to be in a relationship with. It's sort of like setting a low bar of expectations from the beginning, which uh, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of personally, but that's kind of the only takeaway I could have from it because I i don't know why you would want to look slovenly other than to you know let the world know that you're not interested in changing that.
1: But you do say that guys did admit that women had an influence on their style, whether it was simply to look attractive to women or something a girlfriend liked or a significant woman in their lives liked.
0: Even the people that claim not to care, they did admit that if their girlfriend said they look good in something, they would you know, appreciate that and, and wear that more often. Or I think one thing, if, if women listen, the takeaway for me from this that I was surprised at, and I think a lot of women would be surprised by is, how much even the smallest compliment from a woman sticks with these guys. I mean, they would throw out like, oh, a coworker said my shirt looked nice once and I kept wearing that shirt. Or one kind of surprising but not surprising thing was how many mentioned their mother's and their sister's role in what they would wear and how what their mother thought looked good has had an impact even years after moving out of the house. So I think that the last group, the thing that stuck with me was it wasn't oh, my girlfriend takes me shopping and picked out these clothes. It wasn't, oh, whenever I go to the bar, I get this kind of feedback. It was these small, isolated moments that men don't get a lot of if they don't run in certain circles. And so they really grab onto the one or two compliments or comments they may get in a, in a year or something from uh, other women, which I thought was uh, interesting for sure.
1: So ladies... You might have more power than you think. Good luck. Brendan Gallagher is a writer for Complex Magazine. All right, you probably knew we were going to hit back-to-school season. The fashion bug bites a kid pretty early, and every year about this time, parents are hearing a lot about that, and kids are thinking about it. What am I going to wear the first week of class? So back to school time is a big way for your kid to make his or her style mark. To find out what's showing up in the stores for fall, we called up Kalitha Crawford. Kalitha teaches fashion marketing and business at Parsons, the new school of design in New York. By now, you've probably heard a lot about this athleisure trend. That's just basically a fancy way of saying those crossover styles of t-shirts, hoodies, yoga pants that we adults like to wear outside the gym or yoga studio, you know, to run errands or go to the green market or even go out at night. Well, kids are doing the same thing. And we asked Kalitha, so what else is popular for school?
2: For girls, you're seeing a lot of fun fur, so whether it's a trend or all over and in fun colors. And the 70s are here again, Um, even though these kids don't know anything about the 70s, obviously. But colors like mustard and some of the, the silhouettes that we know from the 70s. What I saw a lot of for fall at wholesale were a lot of capes. So capes come and go. You know, designers put them in the collection and they either work or they don't work. Also, in terms of pants, a lot of these kind of drop crotch pants have been around. I think that those do particularly well on the West Coast, which has a more relaxed feel but also trendy. And again, going back to the athleisure, anything that would kind of give you the idea of athletic brands, so sporty looks, whether it's, you know, kind of a jersey type of. Top that has a numeral on it, you know, that the football player or a basketball player might wear, that is being translated a lot for both boys and girls as well.
1: Um, Kalitha, what about older kids that... Uh think that they'd like to look like grown ups mm-hmm.
2: So that's one of the things that drives sales in children's is that children are always looking at their older counterpart, you know, so the older sister, even their mom or TV stars, and they're very sophisticated and they know what they want to wear. So for, let's say that tween girl, which would be about age eight to 12, and then boy in that same age range, they are really trying to dress like the juniors market, which is very trend oriented. So from a sales perspective, from a brand perspective, that's kind of a difficult market. It's fun, but it's difficult because it changes all the time. And they, these kids also want to shop at, you know, the juniors stores, whereas mom is trying to keep them looking age appropriate. Um, So there's always that little bit of push pull between the kids and the mom.
1: So, is it fair to say that uh, kids don't notice clothes until they get up into their tweens?
2: Oh, no. These days, kids are very involved in what they wear, and they are dictating to their parents at a very young age what they will and won't wear. Some of it is comfort driven, and so it's interesting that some children just for instance, are not into jeans for that reason, because they're used to very soft fabrics, and jeans have a lot of stitching and things that could be irritating. But even from a fashion standpoint, you're seeing that as an influence when you look at maybe character-driven clothing. A few decades ago, characters from TV on clothes were popular even an older age kid than it is now these days children are very self-conscious they don't want to be seen as a baby again they're aspiring up to those older ages so they'll wear their cartoon character pjs at home but they're not as interested in wearing it out because they want to be seen a little bit more sophisticated
1: so that means the frozen t-shirt stays at home
2: in a lot of cases although you know when you have something that's as popular as frozen i think frozen gets a pass
3: I like to ward on to my dream Of relaxing in the summer sun Just letting off steam Oh, the sky will be blue And you guys will be there too
1: When I finally do what Frozen things do In summer Aletha Crawford teaches at Parsons, the new school of design in New York City, and she helps children's clothing companies build their businesses.
0: Yeah. It's, it's,
2: it's only right that oh, I'm dressed. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta be in it, to, to oh, win yeah. it. Oh. I, I never come lame type killing oh. in the
1: College football starts on Saturday, August the 29th, and we called upon Paul Lucas, our sports guy. Paul writes about sports uniforms for ESPN, and he told us something fascinating to me. College football uniforms turn over constantly, like at the University of Oregon. Last season, they had 15 games and 15 different uniforms. You know that if you're in Oregon, but I didn't know that. They've been promoting a glow-in-the-dark jersey for the first game of this season. So I asked Paul, what is with all these costume changes?
3: There's sort of a, an arms race, if you will as the various companies try to outdo each other with more outrageous designs for the various schools. You have Adidas trying to outdo Nike and Nike trying to outdo Under Armour and and so on. And every time you think, well, they can't go any farther than this, (laughs) they can't get anything wackier than this, sure enough, they do. And so at the college level, you're seeing designs that look less like uniforms for athletes and more like costumes for superheroes. Uh, and also keep in mind that the college game is played by much younger athletes, yeah. and those athletes have a, a choice in where they're going to play, right? They're high school players, they're, they're being recruited by the colleges, and those recruiters are dangling things in front of them. They're dangling a scholarship, but they're also trying to say, hey, this is a cool place for you to play. Hmm. And one aspect of a place being cool is if it has a cool uniform. And so you have the visual and design sensibilities of a bunch of 17-year-olds, basically, that are being recruited that 's driving a lot of these designs
1: I really never thought i 'd be hearing that a seventeen year old is going to decide where he might go to school based on what he looks like when he plays football, but you know it makes a certain kind of of sense
3: you know i, I don 't think there are many players who use that as their number one determinant I of agree. where they 're going to <laughs> to play, but I think it often plays in as a tiebreaker. you know any athlete is thinking about how and where he 's going to compete. he envisions himself you know, in that uniform, in that attire, in that apparel. And and I think that's a natural thing to do. You You imagine yourself as being part of that team and competing out on that field. And, you know, it's one thing to say, Um, you're going to look like you're playing for Penn State, which has an extremely conservative uniform, which, you know, a lot of people like, versus, say, if you're going to play for the University of Oregon, which has had a a series of increasingly outrageous uh, uniforms and is now known for that. I'm not saying one design is better than the other, but I think one design is probably going to have a different impact when a 17-year-old envisions himself wearing that design. Right.
1: So, Paul, which teams have uh, new and noteworthy uniforms this season?
3: Uh, at the college level, there are so many new designs this year. I mean, literally hundreds of new uniforms. One of the more interesting ones is uh, for Notre Dame. Uh, they are one of the more famously conservative looking teams. A few years ago, they started a program in which they play one game away from their, their usual home stadium in South Bend, Indiana, and they play in a, a usually a, a larger off-site stadium. This year, it's in Boston. And it's called the Shamrock Series of games. And, and this year's Shamrock Series game is in Boston at Fenway Park, where the Boston Red Sox play. And it has uh, this large outfield wall that's called the Green Monster. And so Notre Dame has decided that they are going to be the Green Monsters this year. And they're wearing, instead of their usual navy and gold design, they're wearing a solid green green jerseys and green pants as well, a solid green uniform. And again, this is one of these designs that looks a little more like a costume than a uniform, but they'll only be wearing it for one game.
1: I I looked at the Shamrock game costumes, or I just called them costumes. I looked at these uniforms (laughs) and that was the first thing that came to my mind, costumes. I mean, they they do have a, a, does have a leprechaun feel. You can't say that it doesn't, you know, little pot of gold at the end of the uh, goal line.
3: Yeah, and instead of their their famous gold helmet, which is meant to... evoke the gold dome on the notre dame campus they're using uh helmets that have the head of their leprechaun mascot character uh the leprechaun's head is on the side of the helmet (laughs) so they're jazzing it up for for the one game and a lot of teams are doing that now they'll play one game with a special uniform the louisville cardinals their opening game of the season uh is going to feature frankly a rather garish uniform that has uh, a script l for louisville on one side of the helmet and this rather demonic-looking bird, a cardinal, because they are the Louisville Cardinals, and they, they've managed to make a cardinal, which is you know, kind of a nice-looking bird, and they've managed to make it look fierce and intimidating, and it's got a glowing green eye, and frankly, it looks a bit ridiculous. But <laughs> that's what we see uh, for a lot of these college football uniforms now, especially the, the one-off designs that are only going to be worn for one game. They tend to look outrageous. They're designed to get attention because they're only going to be worn once, so they have to make a big impact. And uh, that's kind of where the college game is going
1: right now. With all these uniform changes, uh, any controversy among them? Anything that uh, people really don't like?
3: You know, whenever new designs come out, there's always um, a sort of round of opposition that comes out in often, uh, especially on social media and in in many uh, facets of life, right? Mm -hmm. But people get used to it and people will buy it. You know, these new jerseys that that come out, uh, they sell. And some of the most famously or infamous, some of the most infamous jersey designs of recent years in various sports were nonetheless big sellers because some fans will buy the new design no matter what it is, even if they don't like it. And the teams know that, of course, and and the manufacturing companies know that. And so they put these designs out there, uh, not just uh, so that we'll see them on the field, but so that fans will buy them at retail.
1: You know, I don't mean to stump you here, but do we know when fans started wearing the sports jerseys? I mean, does that go all the way back to the beginning?
3: No. You know, I'm 51 years old. And when I was growing up in the 1970s, that market did not exist. They had not figured out that fans would pay $250 and sometimes more for what is essentially a polyester shirt. It wasn't until really the 90s that that type of thing started to become available. And not until the late 90s into the early 2000s that it started to kick into overdrive as a major component that drove what we see on the field. (laughs) You know, it used to be the first question a team asked when considering uh, a new uniform design was, how does this look on the field? Does this look good on the field? Now that's about the third or the fourth question that gets asked. The first question is, Will it sell? And of course, who buys these things? You know, the older part of the fan base does not buy jerseys. It's the younger portion of the fan base. And so you have, in many ways, what we see on the field, what everyone sees on the field, is driven by a smaller subset, a younger subset of the fan base.
1: So you see those jerseys first on the college players, and then later on the alumni, dad bods. Paul Lucas writes about sports uniforms for ESPN. You can check out some of these amazing designs on our social media. I suggest Pinterest.com slash The Podcast. That's it for this episode of The Seams. It was produced by Elaine Heinzman. Our editor is Marcus rosenbaum Our intern is Georgie Goldstein. And our web designer is Jess D'Amico. Our theme song, Fortune Cookie, is from the album The Further Adventures of low Straight Jackets, used with permission from the band low Straight Jackets. The Seams is sponsored by Feel Good Yarn Company. Check them out at feelgoodyarncompany.com. And to see the photos from the stories featured in this episode, please look for us on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook. Just search for The Seams Podcast. Talk to us on Twitter. Our handle is @seams_podcast, all one word. If you like what you hear on The Seams, please rate our podcast on iTunes. Thanks to those of you who have. And write us a review. Next time on The Seams, New York Fashion Week is coming up. We're going to be there. But you say you've got nothing to wear? Well, you can always just raid someone's closet and rent some of their outfits
2: for that week. Once I heard the idea, I said, you're crazy if you think I'm going to give you my clothes.
1: I'm Jackie Leiden, your head seamstress. Thanks for listening.